This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! This is Chris Cosentino from San Francisco, and you better read your f***ing comic books. And you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 148 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 22nd. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not wrongfully disqualifying contestants in our monthly geek challenge while intoxicated, mind you, I am writing the comic speculator blog for worthpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not apologizing to the wrongfully disqualified geek challengers while stone sober, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit web series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd. For the record, I removed no less than five of your belches <laughs> last week's show. I did not belch five times. That five, is a lie. Five times. That's a lie. In this week's episode, you hear our reviews of Deadly Class, number one, and All New Invaders, number one. After that, we're going to review ten more of this week's new comics faster than a drunken Justin Bieber during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for a trippy, sexy pillow fight while we discuss what we're excited to read next week. And finally, we'll make like Oliver Stone and try to explain mind management in our take a look it's in a book segment but before we start racking up fcc swearing violations let's take a second to call our wives and end our marriages because if the captain and tenille can't make it work how in the hell can we and then we'll talk about this week's big news it's a sad week i really wish i knew some captain and tenille lyrics solid solid as a rock are you sure that's Captain Oh, yeah, that's them. They sang at the inauguration, but they sang solid as Barack. See what they did? Oh. See what they did? Farkle. Let's talk about this week's big news! Did you say oh, Farkle? Ask and ye shall receive. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will finally get around to featuring actual Marvel Comics characters in upcoming episodes. No sh- Late last week, ABC announced that Jamie Alexander will be reprising her role as Sif. In the show's upcoming 15th episode, Sif will be hot on the heels of Lorelei, an Asgardian seductress created by Walt Simonson during his iconic run on Thor. Moving into slight spoiler territory, ABC has also announced that Mike Peterson, the troubled, cybernetically enhanced character played by J. August Richards... Troubled. They make it sound like he might get hooked on drugs. I said that he's troubled. He's troubled. (laughs) Okay. Okay, he's troubled. He will be transformed into Deathlock. Following the bloody events of the most recent episode, Deathlock, of course, is Marvel's undead cyborg, most recently seen in the pages of Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. executive producer Jeff Loeb told reporters that Peterson's transformation into Deathlock was something they had planned from the beginning of the series. So, Matt, does this news make you more excited about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Isn't this what fans have been asking for? I think turning this dude into Deathlock is something they have planned since they read the outrage on the internet. <laughs> is my guess. No, I think if you look back, like they were definitely planting seeds with this character. He's made several appearances before. Okay. Uh, now I admit I stopped watching. He was in the first episode and he's been in it regularly for the last several. Well, I admit I stopped watching. I thought it was so boring and formulaic and just stupid that I quit watching altogether. Why they didn't have Marvel characters there from episode one, I'm not really sure. They, they're, like, throwing this out, like, isn't that cool? Like, fuck you guys. What were you thinking? You know, like, we're going to have a Marvel show with no Marvel characters, and everybody will be like, cool. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> come on. Not that I'm disagreeing that they should have worked a little harder at the beginning. Yes. But it's not like they could just have Deathlock show up out of the blue. No, I get that. They have to, like plant those seeds and let that story build i get that but they could have started from the beginning with several other characters regardless yeah i'm gonna check this out now i'm gonna check this out i think there's things i'm actually interested in i think the the sif news is actually a big deal that's pretty cool i mean arguably sif is the second most popular thing about the thor movies second only to loki (laughs) i suppose yeah i mean but like they can do that. They yeah. own those. You know, they don't own the actors, but they made those movies. There are some B-list actors in those movies that they can probably afford to get on the TV show. Obviously, we're not going to get Chris Hemsworth 
You're not going to get Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Any of the Chris's. Robert Downey Jr. None of the Chris's are going to show up. Chris Ruffalo. Chris <laughs> Downey Jr. They should have been doing this from the start. That's all I'm saying. Now yeah, I will I'm, check it out. I hope it's good. If the show improves, I will watch. I just don't care about it. I, like, I, I watched the show. I do agree that it needed more of a Marvel connection. Oh, but God, yeah. I do kind of sympathize. Like, they have to carefully choose how they introduce these characters. They can't just have Daredevil show up. You could have Matt Murdock just and show up. And not ruin, like, a... As a lawyer. Maybe. Something like Deathlock, who there's a story of how he became Deathlock. I get that. But not if you're now, trying... if he doesn't have a metal head and no nose, I'm going to be pissed. In other television news, Law & Order star Jesse L. Martin has been cast as Detective West, father of Iris, on the CW's upcoming Flash series. The casting call for the role described the show's take on West and his relationship to Barry Allen, saying, quote, Late 40s to early 50s, African-American, Detective West is an honest blue-collar cop who's seen it all. A soulful, funny, caring father to Iris and a surrogate father to Barry. West came up through the foster system himself. He took Barry after his mother's murder and his father's imprisonment. He believes in Barry and supports Barry's efforts to prove his father's innocence. The CW is also looking to cast an African-American actress to play Iris West. Obviously. Joe Patrick. Well, certainly we can't have any race mixing. <laughs> Joe Patrick as the Ziggurat's number one Flash fan. Are you into the CW changing up the characters like this? You know, I am. Really? I, I mean, I won't go so far as to say I was... Asking for it. So when but, when Black Wally shows up, you're okay with it? Marinate on that. Let I'm me, just going to say it one more time. Let me dig deep into my white guilt. I'm going to say two words, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Black Wally. Wow. <laughs> There's no reason why Iris and her family can't be black. No, I agree. But there's also no reason why they need to be black. Other than they went, oh, crap. There's no black people on this show. What are we going to do? <laughs> well... <laughs> Speaking as an entitled white person, right? As are you. Yeah, I'm in an entitled white band. There's no reason they need to be white either. There's no reason any character needs to be white or black. Well, the only reason, other than you want to have a representation of multiple of cultures. The, right. Oh, well, no, I'm saying other than there's a precedent for them already being white where they came from. That's true. That's that's that, what I'm basing. But on. that doesn't. I'm really... not saying white is right, Heil Hitler or anything. Are I mean, you like, sure? Yes. I just don't see the point. And I, truthfully, you know what it is? I'm mad at the CW. I'm mad at Smallville, I'm mad at Arrow, and I am preemptively mad at The Flash. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> I'm going to address these points, or ignore them as I see fit. The Barry Allen that they introduced on the Arrow show was excellent. I loved it. It struck the right tone, Okay, and it wasn't some hard-bodied cover model. Okay. It's some nerdy dork. I'll give it a chance when it comes on. I don't think I'm going to like it. These characters were created in a time where it was unthinkable for the main character to be agreed. black or even supporting characters to be black. Totally agreed. Well, black people didn't exist back then. <laughs> That's the There's issue. nothing wrong with updating this character for the modern time, making her dad into a cop instead of a scientist. I understand that there's going to be some changes. Okay. We're not talking about changes to the ongoing Flash comic that I've been reading for the last... 35 years, right. which, by the way, has been rebooted three times since <laughs> I've started reading comics. Yeah. And completely reinvented in the last three right. years. Right. <laughs> like Wally West, so far, he's coming, but at the moment, does not even exist. Will he be black? I don't know. Mm. Does it matter? Is there anything about the character? I think he's going to be a left-handed lesbian midget Eskimo albino. <laughs> does there is there anything about the character? That's a dead milkman reference, but <laughs> thank you. Is there anything about Iris or her father that preclude them from being African American? No, no. There is absolutely no reason why this can't be good. Jesse L. Martin is a good actor. He is good. So to answer your question, song and dance man, before you started goose stepping around the ziggurat. Oh, that is not what happened. Yes, I'm okay with it. Fine. I I just. I'm not okay with the CW. I will watch this show. I just don't understand why we can't just do it. Just do it. Give me the Flash. Do it. Give me Superman. <laughs> Give me Green Because Air. they're not Give making this stuff for us. They're making it for people that don't read the Flash. I know. We're just nerds, I guess. Nobody likes nerds. Finally. Thank God. DC Comics released their February solicitations online this week, announcing some surprising cancellations. Six titles are ending with their April issues. Some of the cancellations had already been announced, like Justice League of America, which is giving way to Justice League Canada. It's not really called that. It's called Justice League United. And Stormwatch, which DC announced would come to an end back in November. The other titles, however, may come as a surprise. Nightwing, Suicide Squad, and Teen Titans will all come to an end with their 30th issues. 
and Superman Unchained will end with issue number nine. While Scott Snyder cited an overly busy schedule for Superman Unchained's ending, the reason for the other cancellations is something of a mystery, though there have been many rumors concerning the fate of Dick Grayson post-Forever Evil, and Kyle Higgins is joining the writing team of Batman Eternal, so the end of his title could mean bad news for the character. Mapom, what do you think? Are low sales the culprit for some of these titles? Are you sad to see any of them go? Low sales is affecting some of these titles. Obviously, Stormwatch doesn't well, sell. Well, Stormwatch for sure. Nightwing is not that case. Nightwing in December was number forty-five in the top three hundred ordered comics list, so it's within the top fifty. I feel like Suicide Squad and Teen Titans are both relatively healthy. Teen Titans falls just outside. In December, it was number sixty-seven. Suicide Squad number eighty-one, which still. In the top 100, that's generally not where you see books getting canceled. Outside the top 100, anything 110 and above is in real trouble, typically. Nightwing is not that case, so they're probably going to kill Nightwing or do something Well, there's Dick Grayson, turn there, him into a bad guy. There or, are a lot of rumors. In, in yeah. the teaser for Batman Eternal, there is a blonde character wearing a Nightwing mask. What does that mean? I don't know. And at first, you you, you just write it off as, oh, that's a coloring mistake, but maybe not. Huh? Maybe since so, his identity was outed in Forever Evil, he's going to like adopt a a new sacred identity or something. A wig. <laughs> I was thinking he'd dye his hair. I think something bad's going to happen to Nightwing, and it's going to freak Batman out. That's my guess. These other titles? No, I don't care. Stormwatch is completely unrecognizable. I don't care at all about it. Everything that I liked about this book was in the old DC universe, and Gail Simone was writing it. It was Secret Six, and it was a fantastic book. I just don't care about that book. And I know Ailes Cott wrote it for a while. And, and Matt Kinn has been writing Matt it. Matt Kinn has been writing it. I, it just doesn't do anything for me. Teen Titans is unrecognizable. I don't care. I'm happy to see Teen Titans go, yeah. I'll be quite frank. I really don't care at all. Superman Unchained, though, is kind of a bummer. I mean, that was I was actually really enjoying it. I got to give them props for just ending it, though. Yeah, and right. Not, it seems strange that they don't just like throw someone else on the title, which DC well, seems to do all the time. I mean, if you replace Scott Snyder and Jim Lee with anybody else, that right. title's going to limp to its death anyway. Yeah, but when when does that ever stop DC from doing that? True. You know, and ending with number nine, that seems really strange. But Scott Snyder is a very busy guy. I get that. And they're probably lucky to get whatever they get from him at this point. Hmm. You know, and it's sad to see any of these titles go, but... DC is in a really, really strange place right now, right. and nobody seems to know what's going on, and it seems like everything outside of the Batman world is kind of in free fall. It just, uh, the reason I put this in the news is because it just seems like these are odd choices compared to other yeah. DC books like All-Star Western. Well, and the other side of this is maybe they're looking at this and they're saying, okay, books like Suicide Squad and Teen Titans are selling fine but because they're selling fine maybe we can retool them a little bit and get them inside that top 50 maybe even inside the top 20 so maybe maybe they're only going to be gone in the short term could be and maybe they're shuffling creative teams around trying to figure or slightly reinventing this or whatever you know i mean they need to do something though because dc's in real trouble yeah and losing creators left and right I, and there's a small pool to draw on as it is. <laughs> the Nightwing, the Nightwing title though, that'll be that'll be one to watch as it develops because that's a good actually that's a, a good story book. Point. You know that's a story. That's point. a good book, and it's definitely uh, it, for it not to be tied to what's going on in Forever Evil. Yeah, it's too much of a coincidence. So. Yeah. That is the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where you can read about the cancellation of this show due to lack of donations. And interest. It wasn't the donations that did us in. We are falling squarely outside of the top 100 comic book podcasts. <laughs> Every Friday, the recently canceled Joe Patrick posts a question of the week on our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at twoheadednerd.com. Joe, what did we ask the listeners this week? This week's question What canceled title? do you think was ended before it's time? That's a great question. I can name like 30. I'll have to like dig deep head. into my memory, but I know I have some. I already know my answer. This would be, these are books that were wonderful. Right. Like by all estimation, uh, books that were critically acclaimed or at the very least beloved by you or others. And just didn't catch that on. That did not catch fire with the audience they that just, they needed to survive. They just didn't sell, unfortunately. 
You can call us and leave us a message with your answer using Skype. We're going to cancel Skype. No, we're not. Our Skype handle is two at a nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. But you got to keep that under three minutes or Matt will cancel you. No, no, no. The Ziggurat hotline will cancel you. It's not me. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Google does it. Yeah, Google does it for me. Or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But again, keep it concise because we don't have time for rambling. And you got to share the air with your fellow listeners. That's right. If you need more time, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. It's easy to find. We're going to tell you how to do it at least three more times yeah, this show. The aforementioned link. That's right. <laughs> TwoheadedNerd.com. It's review time on THN where Matt and I demand special naughty favors from publishers to say nice things about their comics. Are we are you getting naughty favors? You're not? Oh, really? What were you bribed into loving this week? <laughs> this week I read Deadly Class number one from Image, written by Rick Remender, with art by Wes Craig. Here's your solicit. Welcome to the most brutal high school on earth, where the world's top crime families send the next generations of assassins to be trained. Murder is an art. Killing is a craft. At King Dominion High School for the deadly arts, the dagger in your back isn't always metaphorical, nor is your fellow classmates poison. Whoa, that is a hard edge solicit. Wow. It should be mentioned that this story takes place in 1987, which probably means Remender is an old bastard like me. It's in the streets of San Francisco where we meet our homeless star, Marcus Lopez. Life sucks for young Mark as he sleeps under bridges, begs for change during the day, and fights with the homeless elderly for shoes by night. That is, until he meets a mysterious stranger and is invited to a high school for killers! Remender does a really nice job here developing a mystery around Lopez, and he gives us a, a very brief but really interesting backstory as to where his life went wrong. And it's fun, since it takes place in 1987, he's sort of like this original late 80s punk, and he kind of blames Ronald Reagan for a lot of things, which I really liked. The real star here, though, is Wes Craig, who I remember from his Wildstorm days. Craig's art has simplified a bit from his old days and become far more detailed in his emotion and his kick-ass paneling. Along with the colors of Lee Lawfridge, I think I'm saying that right, there is a beautiful story presented here that you could probably follow without any word bubbles at all. I loved the look of this comic. It reminded me of Marcos Martin's work with Hayao Miyazaki's sense of, mo of motion. Really, really kinetic, interesting looking stuff and really clean, simple colors that work with Craig's fine line art very, very well. The story has a nice end that opens both the main character and the reader into this new world, and it looks like it's going to be fun. I loved all the little 80 references that they sunk in the art as well. I will say they didn't go out of their way to make the characters look like they were dressed as 1980s teenagers and people on the street. They kind of looked modern to me, <laughs> you know, which it was beautiful, but the costumes just like, if you're going to set this, then it needed to be a little more eighties. That's all I'm saying. That's my only bitch. This gets a huge buy it. It was a lot of fun. Joe Patrick, what did you think of it? They need more safety pins in their cheeks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, like stupid stuff and like neon, like <laughs> blazers, but they're not shit. like, <laughs> but they're not like preppy kids. No, I mean, but somebody was walking around on the street. I loved this book. It was fun. I thought it was really good. The wardrobe didn't... I'm not saying it bothered me. I'm just saying you said it in 1987, I, I, I would have liked a little more 80s looking. That's all. Yeah, but you know, that would have bothered me. Like, too much, like, overt. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying... It's the 80s! Yeah, there's a, there's a balance. It, it, then it's an episode of the Goldbergs. No, thank you. Um, I will I, say, I thought they did a... I, I forgot to mention. I thought they did a really nice job of writing, like, a really sort of angry believable teenage character who was kind of dumb in some of the stuff that he was angry for like wasn't really sure why certain things were the way they were but was just kind of mad to be mad yeah yeah you know like that was well executed i i, I did love the art uh i like yeah, west craig man. the first time i ever really like noticed west craig was when he did those fill-in issues of guardians of the galaxy yeah and those were amazing his style was very striking and different and he's only gotten better. I love the... It's not monochrome. No. But, but it's muted. Yeah. 
It's simple. Uh, where it needs to be. It's simple. Yes, simple is an excellent way to describe it. But deceptively simple. Not, right. not It's not dumbed down coloring. It's very masterfully used. Also you know, not color. like three-dimensional. They're not going for weird shades. They wanted it to have this sort of like simple, flat, cartoony 80s look. I almost think of it like, man, was it Esprit that had like those ads with like the drawn surfer that was all flat and like the colors are kind of sliding <laughs> out a little bit? <laughs> or Lagoons or something like wow. that. I don't remember. But yeah, I love the art. Uh, this book is very similar. It, not similar because this is definitely a mature reader's book. Um, but the whole School for Assassins thing. Image has another book about School for Assassins. It's called Five Weapons and sure. it's an all ages book. So it's kind of weird. To read this when there's already that. Five Weapons comes back next week, actually. That's also not the first book about schools for assassins out there. No, that's true. That's true. It's just, you know, in my mind, I'm I'm trying not to compare it to Five Weapons. Right, right. Um, But we don't actually get to the school in this issue. Not much, anyway. You get, like, we get in the front door. Really? Not until the last page? Yeah, like, you get in the front door, you get an introduction Mm -hmm. to the headmaster and stuff, but not... Any of what the what they're supposed to be like learning and and things like that, like how they're being taught, right? And we still don't even know why he's there, right? Right. But yeah, this was super fun. It's another great image number one. Yeah. Alongside everything else that we've been talking about every month for the last year. Yeah. <laughs> so image wants all your money, right? And, and this is they probably deserve it. Yeah. This is uh, <laughs> this is uh, it's not going to be for everyone, but I'm giving it a definite buy it. All right. Scale of one to ten. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Joe Patrick, tell me about all new invaders. Number one. This is from Marvel Comics, written by James Robinson with art by Steve Pugh. Here's your solicit. Gods and Soldiers, Part One. Eisner Award winner James Robinson returns to Marvel, uniting with Steve Pugh to create a unique modern-day take on the Invaders. The Kree Empire intends to conquer the universe using a weapon that will grant them an army of Norse gods. It falls. To four heroes united by their past, Captain America, Namor, the original Human Torch, and the Winter Soldier, who must now face the future and wage war against the Kree to save Earth. The series picks up with the Kree in search of the components to the weapon mentioned in the solicit, and then we cut to Blaketon, Illinois, to catch up with Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch. At As the least recognizable character in the group, Robinson wisely spends the bulk of the issue filling readers in on his backstory. Robinson touches on Hammond's recent history in Avengers AI, seamlessly adding to Golden Age lore. He put in this character that I thought was made up, but we looked him up and I guess he's real. He is a thing. Major Major Liberty. Liberty. I mean, he looks different, but he wasn't in the Invaders, according to the Marvel Wiki. First appearance, USA number one, 1941. We'll say no more about it. But the way he kind of entered and exited the issue makes me think that maybe he'll have a part to play later. There's definitely a cadence to Robinson's dialogue, and I know that it annoys some people, but I love it. I think Robinson has an amazing knack for developing characters, even background players, that'll never be seen again. It can annoy me. It did not annoy me here. Uh, sometimes it's, it didn't bother me sometimes it's at 11. This was at more of a 6. Yeah. Plus, the man was born to write Golden Age legacy characters. He's a great fit for this book. Steve Pugh's art is weird and wonderful. It was weird. Like, I had to, in the middle of the book, I looked at it. I was like, who is drawing this? And yeah. I had to go back and look again. Yeah, Steve Pugh. Because I really didn't recognize Yeah, him. like classic Vertigo artist. He's yeah. longtime Animal Man artist. Just yeah. got off of a run on Animal Man. I like him a lot. He's not the flashiest artist or the biggest name for a high-profile launch, but... He's a veteran storyteller, and I love his character designs. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely a James Robinson apologist. So when I heard he was coming back to Marvel to revive the Invaders, I was all in. Luckily for me, the first issue of this new ongoing lives up to my expectations and proves itself accessible for new and old fans alike. It's not necessarily for everyone, but I'm still giving it a buy it. <laughs> You've been doing this dance all day. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> okay, all right. Don't, uh, don't Joe to address it. it. Don't okay. acknowledge it. Okay, <laughs> why? Where's this coming from? This is from Keith fucking Silva. Oh. <laughs> who just gets on this, he just locks onto something that we say and harps on it, harps on it, harps on it. 
<laughs> no, I'm with you. I enjoyed this, and I didn't think I wasn't going to, but I have been kind of bothered by some of James Robinson's stuff recently. I think Marvel's a good place for him to reestablish his footing, do what he does best. I like that they're doing another book like this that sort of reminds me of like Ed Brubaker's Captain America, which was very much set in the modern day, but called back to all this old golden age yes, stuff right and connects these characters to that stuff right i think this is very reminiscent of that. i don't necessarily need that in captain america anymore but i think all new invaders is a really good place to do that yes and it's fun we're gonna see them dealing with the kree instead of the nazis and stuff like that but of course things that happened with world war ii are going to directly affect them right today. and i love that they make mention of the fact that for one reason or another these four characters have cheated death right that's why they are kind of destined to have to deal with this. I also like the choice of making Jim Hammond the center of this book to sort of reintroduce him to everybody. He de- they definitely needed to and because, like I said, he is not, he's the least recognizable yeah. of the four. And it's kind of stupid that he just went away. <laughs> you know? Well, he, like, he was but in Avengers AI they and he's been in other books. No, and that's where I was going next. I read Avengers AI and I really like it. It got confusing for a while there, but I really like it. And I liked how they just touched on what happened to Jim Hammond in this. And it sort of connected me to him a little more. This is a fun book. I'm looking forward to where it goes next. The last page seemed a little ham-fisted, but it wasn't bad. You know, you know, it's uh, it's very melodramatic. Yeah. You know. uh, but I think that works for a book like this because yeah. it is it's it's a it's a movie serial. Right. It's a modern day movie serial. Right. Um, I will say that I'm giving it a buy it as well. That's I will I'm say saying. regarding that last page, there's an ad or there was a weird page turn there or an ad in there's between. There's an ad in between. And I thought it was going to end in a, in a different place. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, man, he's in real trouble. Oh, I guess he's not. Right. <laughs> you know? So, but still, yeah. Yeah. So that is a double buy it for both Deadly Class number one and for all new Invaders number one. Of course, we want to know what you psychotic sophomores and flaming patriots out of these comics. So torch our butts with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoeditnerd.com. As you've heard, Justin Bieber ran into a little trouble this week when he was arrested for drag racing on a residential street in Miami at 4.30 in the morning. Well, what the news didn't tell you is that he was racing Joe and I after a drunken bet that his Lamborghini could beat us in the THN Thunder Tank. So we called his bluff and not only left him in the dust with the fuzz, but recorded ourselves reviewing 10 of this week's new comics while making our escape. Bieber, eat my ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed, go! Jackhammer, number one from Action Lab! This stars a hard-boiled detective that was once a superhero named Jack Hammer. It's a cute twist on the washed-up cop becomes P.I. trope. But the coloring is so oppressively dark, and the inking is so thick that it ruins otherwise decent line work. Like, I like his faces. He's not bad. It's Also, I'm not normally one to comment on typography, but the caption boxes are so poorly lettered that they're almost unreadable. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Like... Impossible to decipher. Unfortunately, these negatives overshadow whatever fun might be had here. I'm giving it a leave it. Too bad. Elf Quest, the final quest, number one from Dark Horse. Wendy and Richard Peeny? Piney? Peeny. Peeny are back at it. Elf Quest has been around for 35 years, and it's been hailed as the most one of the most important works in American fantasy by the American Library Association and the greatest fantasy saga in comics history by Comic Shop News. Me? I don't get it. It's, <laughs> it's not bad, and it's very densely written. I, I'm just not a fan of Wendy Peeney's art and childlike elves with six-pack abs. It's just weird. Even with the forward by Richard Peeney, I was still a little lost. I've never read ElfQuest. I'm aware of it. I know it's been around for a long time. This one is for the hardcore ElfQuest fan that's stuck with the Peenies for years. And you know what? More power you. More power to the Peenies. Good for you guys for surviving. It's just... It's not for me, man. It's not for... It's just not, it's not for, everybody. for everybody. You know? There you go. Skim it. Badass number one from Dynamite! The world's most badass, super-powered assassin decides to take down his evil employers before they can turn on him. Decent art, 
fun over-the-top action, but it's pretty ridiculous. And it was kind of hard for me to care. Still, it was better than I was expecting. I'm giving it a skim it. Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, number one from IDW. Writer Douglas Walks adds Judge Dredd to Mega City 2, which seems to be what? a future version of L.A. where everybody wants to be a star and a kinder, gentler judge is the pseudo-law. While Judge Dredd is there, he's got a gun with like a smiley dog on it that fires what's called friendly ammo that stings a little bit. <laughs> Artist Ulysses Farinas will blow your damn mind with his insane artwork. There's panels I could have stared at for hours. His stuff reminds me of Chris Burnham meets Jeff Darrow. I loved this. Buy it. Wow. Hacktivist, number one from Archaea. <sighs> Samantha herself, Alyssa Milano, brings her original comic book vision into the world in the form of a story about insufferable white hat hacker billionaires. What? Yeah. This story switches gears so fast, I couldn't really tell you what I was supposed to focus Does on. Does she know what a hacker is? <laughs> Inexplicably, the book is beautifully designed. With gorgeous art by Marcus Toe. I yeah, mean, it's an Archaia book. He's really good. But, like, just even the design of the book, the cover, it's amazing. Archaia puts out really nice stuff. The guys that colored and lettered Tale of Sand did, like, worked on this book. If this book didn't look as good as it did, it would have gotten a leave it for sure. But on the strength of the art and the hope that something coherent will come from the story, I'm upgrading it to skim it. Yeah. I mean, the art, I, like... Visually, you it, was sleep too, with it was too. too good to completely reject. <laughs> okay. George Romero's Empire of the Dead, Act 1 from Marvel. Romero's name is without a doubt the most important in zombie filmmaking history. However, I think we can all agree the last 20 years of his career have definitely not been his best. I do not care about stories about semi-intelligent zombies, with the exception of Marvel's living zombie, and I don't even know why. Well, because he's alive. This is more of his... Quote, of the dead series, spinning directly out of Survival of the Dead, his last complete failure of a movie. This time it takes place in New York, where the sisters of where the sister of Barbara from Night of the Living Dead <laughs> Yeah, is a student from Columbia University following a team of hunters that bring back zombies to fight for the survivors' enjoyment in an arena. With there's a crooked mayor and everything. Sound like anything you've heard of before? There's ideas borrowed from The Walking Dead here, but not as well executed. Excellent art by Alex Mayleave. But like the rest of Romero's quote of the dead series, this feels like he is beating a dead horse, no pun intended. Skim it. Unwritten, colon, apocalypse, number one, Vertigo. Vertigo's amazing meta-series about the power of stories is back with a new first issue that was designed as a jumping-on point for new readers. Speaking as someone that is woefully behind on this series, I have to call it a success. Mike Carey and Peter Gross shift seamlessly from style to style as Tom Taylor tries to make his way back to the real world through various children's stories and fables. This was beautiful. It was a beautiful comic and a great introduction to this world for new readers and a satisfying beginning to the next chapter for existing fans. I hope the relaunch works and brings them some new readers. I'm giving it a huge buy -in. FF number 16 from Marvel. This is the final issue of FF, and it ends with an Ant-Man versus Doctor Doom battle. That was amazing. Fraction's dialogue in this series has been so smart and so well-written, it's really going to upset me to see FF go. I'll go as far as to say I enjoyed FF more than Fraction's Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's I fair. I already miss Dragon Man. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. Go pick up all of these. FF was so much fun. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Scribblenauts, Unmasked, A Crisis of Imagination, number one from DC. I had more fun with this than I was expecting. The art does a great job mimicking the game's fun style, and there were a lot of funny one-liners in the script. There's a scene where there's a scene where the Joker says to Batman, You wanna get nuts? Okay, let's get nuts. Michael Keaton from Batman. Gotcha. Yeah, it was funny. Yes. It sounds funny. But at the end of the day, <laughs> It's a marketing gimmick designed to get kids screaming for a Nintendo what DS. What the crap is Scribblenauts? It's for hardcore Scribblenauts only. Skim it. Okay. It's a game. Okay. Bo, plushy gangsta, number one from Action Lab. 
It's actually Action Lab slash Danger Zone, which is separate, I guess. It's Action Lab. This is the mindless, sexist, and questionably racist story of a gang leader that was so bad when rival gangsters had him trapped in the body of a voodoo doll teddy bear, he became an even better badass! The art here is solid in a fun cartoony style, but the story is just moronic and laden with generic rap gangster cursing and insults. Plenty of panty shots and some stacked ladies with pokies, too. You don't need it. And I'm not sure who thinks this is funny, even if it is meant to be ironic. Pokies. Leave it. Pokies. I get it. Nips. You don't need to explain it. (laughs) (laughs) Boom! That is your ludicrous speed round. And boom is the sound of Bo the plushy gangster shooting an RPG at a tank as seen in this week's issue of Bo the plushy gangster. Number one, the RPG appears as if from nowhere. Well, he's magic. I, apparently. We had a very special treat this week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum when our sassy magician buddy Zatanna stopped by for a pillow fight with her friend, Madam Xanadu. Me ouch. During all the bouncing around and hair flying, Matt and I couldn't help but have sexy visions of next week's comics while being pummeled with down bludgeons. Matt. What if these lovely ladies beat you into excitement for next week? That is gross. Ew. Next week, I'm excited for Sledgehammer 44 Lightning War. Number three of three this is from Dark Horse, written by Mike Mignola and John Arcudi, with art by Lawrence Campbell, who's killing it on this book. In this one, we see the battle between the Black Flame and the Iron Soldier, known as Sledgehammer, heat up as the fight over a cutting-edge American warplane explodes in the sky. I love this Black Flame character. He's super scary looking, and he's a Nazi. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. Joe Patrick, what are you reading next week? My pick for next week is Serenity Leaves on the Wind, number one from Dark Horse. It's a double Dark Horse kind of week. It's a double dork week. (laughs) This is written by Zach Whedon, with art by George's Janty. Here's your solicit. Malcolm Reynolds' crew shook the verse to its core when they laid bare the crimes against humanity undertaken by their sinister government, the Alliance. Always Outlaws, Mal, a very pregnant Zoe, new pilot River Tam, and the other surviving crew members are in greater danger than ever. Meanwhile, everyone is asking the same question. I don't know what the question is. I don't either. This takes place... How did Zoe get pregnant? We know how Zoe got pregnant. She was pregnant at the end of Serenity. Oh, yeah. This comic takes place after the movie. I've been longing for more stories in the Serenity universe. Yeah. Excited for this. I want to know why they let the lunatic fly the space plane. She got better. I don't remember. Did she get better? Yeah, she's feeling much better now. Okay, good. (laughs) But more Serenity is always a good thing. Zach Whedon has done some other Serenity comics that were really good. Yeah, love it. George's Janty is a great artist. Always solid. Looking forward to this one. The THN Trades of the Week this week go to I Am Abraham Lincoln and I Am Amelia Earhart. Two adorable little kitty books by Chris Eliopoulos. You may recognize his name from all those adorable kitty image variants he's been doing recently. And Brad Meltzer, the man who brought us the rape and murder of Ralph Dibney's wife in the pages of DC Comics. Here we see them telling the story of Abraham Lincoln and Amelia Earhart in a cute cartoony style just for your little ones. Super cute. And we haven't seen Meltzer around for a while. Nice to have him back. It's true. Uh, Meltzer Meltzer said uh, that this is kind of a way for kids that are always looking for heroes to find heroes in history rather than necessarily like fantasy, other types of comics, video games, whatever. So these look great. They're cute. They look adorable. They're only uh, $12.99. They're coming out from... Dial books and look for them on bookshelves. A great thing for a young reader or a parent to read to a kid. Absolutely. Get them some book learning. For the little nerds. As always, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So as soon as your favorite busty magic user is done pummeling you, let us know over at the THN forums. Once a month, Joe and I extend our attention spans to cover a book with more than a couple of dozen pages. This one just happens to be one of Joe Patrick's New Year's resolutions, by the way. This time, we're correcting an egregious oversight in Joe's reading as we review Matt Kint's Mind Migment, Volume 1, <laughs> from Dark Horse. Here's your solicit. 
Reporting on a commercial flight where everyone on board lost their memories, a young journalist stumbles onto a much bigger story, the top-secret mind management program. Her ensuing journey involves weaponized psychics, hypnotic advertising, talking dolphins, and seemingly immortal pursuers. As she attempts to find the flight's missing passenger, the man who was mind management's greatest success and its most devastating failure. But in a world where people can rewrite reality itself, can she trust anything she sees? Matt Baum, what did you think? Let's get to the elephant in the room first. Some of you look at this comic book and you go, I hate this art. You are idiots. You're wrong. And you just don't get it. You need to dig into this a little bit and you will see Matt Kent has a very different art style. I absolutely agree. But he knows what he's doing. And it's very dreamy and kind of washed out on some of these pages. He, it, it works very well to tell his amnesic mystery that he's working on. Yes. Here. I mean, let's back up. Uh, when we were doing some research to write up the intro for the book, there are a lot of reviews that mention the art in a negative way, which I find mind boggling. I do too. But I, get I love Matt Kent's art. I totally get it. It is an acquired. Taste. I mean, it's a personal style preference. But the thing is, guys like Matt Kent and Jeff Lemire, I would group in in there as well. They write to their art. They know exactly where their wheelhouse is, right? And they stay there very well. And when you get into the story, you will not be able to picture anyone else drawing. No, absolutely. If this book looked any differently, it would You're not. Talk about David Finch's mind Migman. <laughs> David Finch's mind Migman, right? Yeah. <laughs> It would not have the same feel, it and like you said, I think the, that the looseness, the almost incompleteness of the yeah. art really complements the story elements uh, that are dealing with you know, loss of memory right. and missing time and things that are being rewritten or misunderstood. Right. It's very ethereal and very um, muddied, uh, purposefully so. And it's all done in uh, painted watercolor, oh, which I think is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And not to mention that every page, and we're still just talking style here. We haven't even got into the substance of the story. Every page is written on what looks to be like your typical comic book page where you have the outline. Well, it's that says, written on a page of the... F well, I'm getting yeah. to that. It's written on what looks to be a typical comic book page where they have the outlines and there's the blue writing that says all art must fall within these lines. But... It is a mind management page, basically, that says all accounts, you know, and recollections must take place within this box. So even the book itself that is about this secret group, mind management, appears to be controlled by the group. And the story that they yes. are releasing, it's like a whole nother layer. The story that they're releasing to us is just enough to keep you going, well, who the f are these people? <laughs> you know? Right. And I, I don't want to say any more about what it says in the margins and stuff. Right. Except to say that I was enjoying the story immensely already up until the point that something happens in the, in the margins that I wasn't expecting. And from then on, I was riveted. And when Joe says in the margins, they... I mean, like, around the art. There is literally stuff written on the top of the book, on the bottom of the book, on the side. It's the, along the top like, and then along the left you side. You have to move the... You have to pull the staples apart a little bit to, like, find secret right. stuff that's uh, written in it. And when that shift happened, I couldn't... I couldn't stop. Yeah. And I'm not going to say a thing more about it other than I started reading this on Sunday afternoon... I read the bulk of it on Monday and uh, had a dream <laughs> about mind management that woke me up from a dead sleep at 3.30 in the morning. It is that bizarre. And I couldn't get back to sleep. Like, I was obsessing over this book. Yeah. And then I had to finish it the next day because I, I had to put it out of my mind. We should also mention this is only the, volume one represents the first six first, issues. Uh, it's uh, zero through six. So yes. uh, it's well, one through six and the Dark Horse presents uh, short stories. Right. So enough about the art. I love it. Matt loves it. The story is so dense and none of it is wasted. Everything that happens yeah. builds on what came before it to deliver moments that might not necessarily play out 
front and center, but might happen in the background right. or, you know, just get like an offhand mention. But the way this book is, uh, this story is woven together so seamlessly, Matt Kent must have pages of notes. Yeah, he has to, because the, like the callbacks that you see that you might not even think about until like I went back and re- I was already reading this book. I went back and read one through six just to catch up so I could speak to with Joe about him. And I got to say, there was stuff that when I went back and read one through six, it was like, oh my God, I totally missed that the first time. And it is so completely dense. Yeah. I can't think of better continuity in a book right now. In fact, I'm going to go on record as saying that I think just what I've read, and I've read more than one through six, this is the best comic book mystery I have ever read. That it, I mean, that's... I mean, if you were a fan of Lost until the end where things got a little weird, if you're a fan of conspiracy theory, if you're a fan of, you know, weird conspiratorial revisionist history, this is for you. Matt Kent is one of the smartest people writing comics right now, and this is him untethered. This is Matt Kent going insane, and it is wonderful. And it turns out he's not nuts. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. I loved every page of this book. It's not going to be for everybody. <laughs> Wink. But you have to do yourself a favor and read this. Yes. It has to be experienced. Yes. I have already picked up the second volume. I'm probably going to start it tonight. I just, I'm, I'm so hooked into it right now that I can't believe I waited this long to read it. Huge buy it. I mean, we if we talk anymore, we're just going to start rambling. But we should mention that if you are buying the trades, you're not going to get the stuff that's in the margins. Yes, Those... no, no, no. The stuff that's in the margins is there. Yeah the the oh, the field guide was. the field guide stuff is in there. Oh, okay. But what's missing is the stuff that's on. Um, like I don't know. Oh uh, no! Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if mind management has any ads in it ever. The, it doesn't. The field guide stuff is there, but the notes that are written along with the field guide stuff, the scribbles and stuff like that, who we don't know, like we don't even know where those are coming from. What character is providing those yet? Those are not in the trade. Okay, so yeah, it's I don't just know the field notes. Well, like there's definitely stuff that Kent keeps exclusive to the comic to. Re- to reward the monthly support, which is so cool. Which yes, it's awesome. I will say that if I re- had to wait month to month to read this book, I would probably lose my mind. Yeah. So when I finally get caught up, we'll see. I, it's a definite buy it for me. Yeah, Jack. I don't know if you picked up on that, but a huge buy it for me. One of the most important comic books coming out right now. You need to read this. The pleasures of a journey to the center of the mind. Staying with the theme of our New Year's resolutions next month, we will be reading an original graphic novel. I want you guys to get on the forums, go to the Take a Look, It's in a Book section, and suggest an original graphic novel for us to read. This has to happen real fast because we're slow readers, man. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, preferably something that's come out since January 1st. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't have to. No, it could be something it's great something from we missed last year. Last year, yeah. But you know, I, I like. I would love it if it would be something that could be potentially in contention for a Beppo. Sure, which Sugge- means it has to be from January or later. Yeah, suggest something a little out of our wheelhouse too. Let's go. You know, well, don't freak go crazy. us out. Freak well, us out. Just prepare for the fact that I, we will weird. probably ignore your suggestions. Let's get super weird. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I know. If anyone has a copy of the Cobra trade paperback. Oh, man, I want to read that so bad. Mail it to us. We will treat it with kid gloves, yes. I promise. Aaron Myers, I'm looking at you. He's got one? I don't know. He's probably got them. Let's, let's go beat him up and take it. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Barely Surviving Cancellation episode of THN. If you're betting on this show dying before it's time, then don't subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, <laughs> where you don't have to give us a star rating or a written review or a Stitcher's thumbs up. And it won't help us connect with other listeners. That's a mind management shit right there. There you go. Thanks to all of you who donate to the show and our sustaining members who are the coolest. You're the coolest. And if you'd like to help keep us in Dick Furs and Hertz Donuts, you can make your donation in any amount using our lovely little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find all our contact links, including Twitter, YouTube, Skype, and the direct 
Ziggurat, phone number 402-819-4894. Using this cornucopia of resources, you can hit us with your Ask Nerd questions. You can defend your questionable nerd taste in our Defenders Forum. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic via printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget, go sign up for the THN Forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, make fun of our height and weight, or just rap about comics. I'm fat and he's short. It's true. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you already subscribed to this show, you don't need to do anything. It will just magically appear in your feed whenever it's released. When it's magically working. Regarding the feed, we are painfully aware of all of the technical problems with iTunes. This is announcement 30. <laughs> you can go to Stitcher Radio and listen to the show. They are up to date. Yeah. Within... Within an hour or two of us updating, they are up to date. There are other places. You can stream it from TwoEditNerd.com. You can go to RhymesWithGeek.com. You can download it directly from our site. Plug your phone or device into your computer like we did in Caveman Times. That's ridiculous. And load it through iTunes, you big babies. I am not doing that. The colossal waste of time. However. I'm done listening to this show. We made some tweaks to the feed. I believe in the podcast app. If you unsubscribe and resubscribe, you can click add old episodes and all of the episodes will be there. There you go. They won't show up in the iTunes store for whatever reason, but at least that's something. Next week, it's time for another wild card episode where anything could happen. If you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoEditNerd.com and check out Cousin Chris's Comics on the Rocks, where he's reviewing brown liquor and comic books. And another exciting installment of the Credible Hulk's Saturday Morning Cartoons. This time, he's written a loving piece. I don't know if it's loving. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. About Peter Pan and the Pirates. I don't know what that is. A show I thought I was the only one that remembered. I don't like to throw this term around, but that sounds gay. <laughs> Tim Curry as Captain Hook. No, it it was really gay. awesome. <laughs> and, as always, the highly controversial Ludicrous Speed Round reviews by Mr. Aaron Myers. Casey Baum hasn't blogged in a month. Who knows when that's going to come back? Who knows? Our weekly shout-out goes to Brian Domingos, who, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, was wrongfully disqualified from last night's Geek Challenge, the subject of which was Marvel and DC characters that rely on tech for their powers. Domingos named Count Vertigo, and I disqualified him. Well, word to you, Brian, because it just so happens that the new 52 Count Vertigo does, in fact, use tech for his powers. I only knew about the old one. Until next time, true believers. I only knew about the old one. My bad. I'm sorry. Joe went out to walk his dog and all hell broke loose. I can't I can't turn my back for a second. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might put his tongue in your mouth for it. <sighs> this is the two-headed nerd signing off. His or her tongue. There's girls that don't <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs>